Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about deciding your new career path with four pillars. Today, I brought on Lisa Lewis Miller, CEO of Career Clarity. Lisa is an internationally recognized career change expert and author who has successfully coached more than 500 people through work transitions in more than 10 countries. She's been featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider, US News. She's also a trusted thought leader on creating a fulfilling career path. She's the host and executive producer of the Career Clarity Show podcast and published book, Career Clarity in 2020. Her path evolved into coaching after working for nearly a decade on major companies such as 2U, Edelman, the American Cancer Society, 17, and many others. So as you can see, Lisa is just going to be amazing today for this episode. And this episode is really going to help you if you're struggling or confused with the career direction that you'll be choosing. So let's launch right into it with our episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's a delight to be back. You know, I should have practiced some of those company names before actually reading that intro, but you have just you have just done so much. I've had this amazing career and I just want to hear a little bit about your story and what sort of launched you into the career space. And I know that you've had this brilliant, amazing story in your book, and maybe you can read some of that, but let's enlighten our listeners right now. Well, my desire to understand more about the factors that contribute to fulfilling, juicy, life-giving careers was born out of seeing some situations in my own life and in the lives of people that I loved around me that I felt like weren't right and they were potentially very avoidable. So I know in my own journey, I when I first got started in my career, I felt a little bit like a Goldilocks, that I kept trying out different things and nothing really felt like it was quite the right fit for me. I started at a nonprofit and I was their new media associate because at that point, digital media and social media were still so new and fancy that they weren't (laughs) even calling it digital or social just yet. Wow. And I was there for a while. I got a ton of autonomy, a ton of authority because this was such a foreign space for them, but there wasn't really a whole lot of opportunity to grow. There wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to advance. There wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for mentorship, for resources to be able to really turn into a leader at the organization. So I jumped ship. That was the first of my many Goldilocks moves of, okay, this bowl of porridge is too cold. I'm not getting opportunities to really advance the way that I think is possible. Let me try something else. So I went to a communications consulting firm in Washington, D.C., where we were steps from the White House and We were helping organizations to put together their grassroots and their grass tops movements to help impact social change and impact policy change. And I was really enjoying the challenge, trying to help people craft a narrative, come up with their story, find a really compelling, persuasive way to talk about what they were all about and what they were doing and help people to then change their activities, change their behaviors, change their lives. Mm -hmm. But the culture of the organization where I worked was was not pretty. I, in hindsight, looking back on it, there were some really toxic things about the culture at the organization. And one story that I elaborate on a little bit more in my new book is that I was working at this organization 
And I found out on a a random Tuesday that my grandfather had just passed away. 94 years old. He lived a long, wonderful life. It was not a huge shock that somebody who was 94 was about to pass away. Mm -hmm. But it was still incredibly painful. And when I had a conversation with one of the leaders of the company about the fact that my grandfather had just passed away, she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry. You know, please take all the time that you need. If you need to take some time off, please do that. And then about three minutes later in the conversation, she said, and by the way, the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because we have this new opportunity coming up that we want to staff you on. And I need to know by the end of the day whether or not you can do it. And I remember thinking to myself, hold on, hold the phone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just told me three minutes ago to take care of myself, to be with my family, to do what I needed to do. And now I'm getting this whiplash of you saying you need me to tell you immediately if I can work on this brand new project or not. You've given me no warning. You've given me no backup. You have given me no explanation. And in that moment, I realized, well, gosh, this isn't Goldilocks' perfect bowl of porridge either, because if this organization gives lip service to treating people like humans, but doesn't actually back that up in their actions and their behaviors, this is not going to be a sustainable fit for me. Yeah. And that sense of real disappointment and real concern that so many companies were saying one thing and doing another led me down the research rabbit hole of trying to figure out what are the factors that contribute to really good fit, good fulfillment, good satisfaction in a role. Yes. And how can that be something that's replicable and useful for everybody? And Chris, as I'm sure we'll get into here in a moment, what I discovered is that while there are some principles that can help you to see where you might find a fulfilling, satisfying fit in your work for your next step, one of the interesting paradoxes of finding satisfaction is that you have to define what satisfaction means for yourself on a very personal scale, even though you're using some tried and true principles. Right. Absolutely. And I remember, first of all, that story, like as I was reading it, just really blew my mind how someone could, I think you even portrayed this person even more intensely in the book than the way you laid it out just now. But that's awful in terms of how you treat somebody and like a company culture is one of the most important things that I think that, you know, people should be factoring into their jobs. And that is one of the things that matters. So before we go into these four pillars, like the actual pillars themselves, can you just kind of give a rundown about what they are and how they should be used? Because you just said that they are very personal to each person. But what are these four pillars? Over the time that I've been doing coaching, I've come up with this methodology that Mm -hmm. I call the four pillars of career fulfillment. And what I've seen from coaching hundreds and hundreds of people through career changes is that consistently, if people were moving into a new job that did not allow them to feel a certain sense of satisfaction and fulfillment across these four factors, Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be a sustainable fit. It might be a shiny new title. It might be a shiny new organization, but it was ultimately not going to be sustainable, fulfilling, and feel like it was truly in alignment with what that person needed to grow and to make quantum leaps of improvement in their life. You know, nobody really wants to be moving from job to job, just picking up their old same baggage and discontents (laughs) and taking it from one place to another place. So as I was noticing that these four factors were coming up over and over again, I decided to codify that and really turn it into a mental model that anybody can be using to navigate their own career change or even their own career move if you're not making a career change. Because one of the things I think that's really interesting about this model is that you can use this model to help you decide 
Do I just need to ask for something different in my current job? Can I make a move within my current organization that will still allow for me to optimize my four pillars? Or do I need to move somewhere else? Mm. So it's a really interesting kind of diagnostic to use on yourself just to do a check-in and say, okay, where am I and what do I need most? But to your question, the four factors that make up the four pillars of career fulfillment are number one, are you working in a capacity where you are using your strengths and gifts? And we'll talk about this a little bit more, I'm sure, but your strength and your skills are not the same thing. So we'll add in that distinction. Pillar number two of career fulfillment is are you working, solving problems that are interesting to you? We call this pillar your magnetic interest. Mm-hmm. So are you helping at the organization and the sector level and in the department and role level? on things that matter to you and that you feel intrigued and curious about. And again, we'll talk about why I use intrigued and curious and not (laughs) passionate here in a minute. Pillar number three is the personality fit of the organization, of the role, of the opportunity. And this one is where the organizational culture really comes in because different types of cultures will perpetuate and hold up on a pedestal different kinds of values. And you need to find a place where your values can come and you can bring more of yourself into the work and you don't have to play small. You don't have to censor yourself. And pillar number four is lifestyle needs. And this is the pillar that everybody sort of intuitively knows, which is what does it cost to live the life that you want to live? So what's the compensation that you'd like to be receiving? What kinds of benefits help for you to live the kind of life that you want to live? And what sort of flexibility do you need from the job in order to have work occupy the appropriate amount of space in your life? Wonderful. So that's a very good overview. I want to jump back to the very top of those four pillars, strengths. And I think that the way you laid out strengths or the way you define strengths in the book was just interesting and different than what I normally thought of about my own strengths. But first of all, how do you define strengths within the context of these four pillars? And how can this help me get my dream job? Like, how is this relevant? Well, honestly, Chris, when I was writing this part of the book, I, as I was writing it, I was kind of surprising myself as I was writing it out, because as I was trying to define what a strength is, I kept coming back to a strength is not just any of the million things that you can do. A strength is tied to feeling the way that you want to feel in your work. And I thought, oh gosh, talking about feelings is going to make this so woo-woo. It's going to make this so squishy. Nobody's going to want to read this. (laughs) But then when I dug into it a little bit further, I recognized from the data that typically the capabilities that we label as our strengths are the ones that are most enjoyable. They are the most energy creating, not energy draining. And they are the ones that have natural momentum around them. And when you think about it that way, nobody doesn't want to feel momentum, energy, excitement, and engagement in their work. So identifying your strengths as the, out of all the things that you can do, which are the ones that are the biggest energy drivers? Which are the biggest ones that have natural momentum to them? Which are the ones that you get excited about and enjoy doing most can be a really important lens to use. So and I'll give an example that, you know, if you have worked with Chris and the folks at Let's Eat Grandma, mm-hmm. this is probably going to be really familiar to you. But an example of this is that back when I was working at the communications consulting firm, I was helping with a lot of big communications campaigns that required a lot of organization. And so these campaigns required us to have these really in-depth databases, right? We were running all sorts of interesting CRM software to track people, to track pieces of legislation, to track 
emails, to track all sorts of things that were happening on our side. And I became the expert in the office at using Salesforce and being a Salesforce administrator because that was our CRM of choice. Here's the rub. I didn't enjoy doing Salesforce one single bit. (laughs) I was good at it. It was a capability. It was a skill. Okay. But I didn't get any motivation, no excitement, no momentum, no nothing out of it. And so it's important for two reasons. Number one, that means it's not a strength. So let's put that on the side. It's great that I can do that. Let's focus in on the things that I enjoy doing. But number two, and the thing that's relevant to to Chris and the work that his incredible team at Let's Eat Grandma does, is that if I don't like doing Salesforce, I sure as heck better not be featuring that on my resume as one of my big crowning achievements. Because I'm putting out this false advertising into the world that that's what I want people to hire me to do. And I think that's a big mistake that I made, at least within my career, is like I've done hospitality and restaurant management my entire life. And I said subconsciously, but I kept like not intentionally attracting it back into my life because I would keep telling people that that's where my competencies lie. That's where my strengths are. Whereas I don't want to be in, I didn't want to be in restaurants. I wanted to move kind of towards this entrepreneurial thing. So that was really eye-opening for me as I was reading it. It's like, let's not just define our strengths as, as the things that we can do, but like you said, as the things that we feel excited and energetic and motivated to do throughout our day. And it's a particular trap for high achievers and high performers, right? Because the smarter you are, the better that you are at learning things on your own, the more likely it is that you are willing to figure it out and learn the skill, solve the problem. Mm -hmm. answer whatever needs to be answered. But if you do that, you can oftentimes really move yourself in a direction where you start to become disassociated from what your strengths are because you're so motivated by learning that you want to just solve any problem. So having that pause, having a built-in feedback loop so that you stop and reflect and say, okay, out of all the things that I've been willing to do and that I've taught myself, which are the ones I actually want to come back to and double down on and grow and stretch and challenge myself in even more? is a really important distinction to be using to move towards fulfillment rather than moving towards like same crap, different day or same crap, different desk kind of a situation. Okay. So Lisa, let's move on to interests because for me, at least when I was first reading the book, I almost put interests and strengths in the same bucket. They kind of seem like the same thing to me. How really are interests different than strengths? Chris, your, your spidey sense isn't off there because oftentimes there will be some good overlap or what I sort of call cross-pollination between your four pillars. You should be seeing some of the same kinds of themes showing up across the four pillars, but they'll come up in different ways. So in your interest area, this is the question of what kind of industry or what kind of a challenge do you want to be taking your strengths and applying them to solve? So one of the examples I talk about often is that let's say that you are incredible at data analysis. You love Mm -hmm. analytics, you run running regressions, it's your favorite thing. You could be working in database software all day, every day, and you see an incredible job description on paper, right? Because when we look at a job description, 90% of what information they give us on paper is related only to your strengths. You see it, you think it's amazing, you're about to apply, and then you realize that the company is, let's say, Frito-Lay, and you have an interest in nutrition or health or sustainability. And you realize, oh shoot, there's a little bit of a disconnect there between what I am interested in, what I value, the kinds of things that I want to move towards and want to support in this world, and what this opportunity that admittedly would be very in alignment with my strengths would have me doing in the world. Mm. So the distinction with your interests is 
How are you taking the incredible strengths and gifts that you have and using them to make a difference in a way that's meaningful and valuable to you? Okay. Both at the micro level, you know, what am I doing within my department or my team? which is probably where you're going to see the most overlap with strength. But then at the macro level, uh, what's the sector or the industry that I'm interested in working in? Okay. So strengths are, they're more about the things that you're going to be doing with your hands and feet, as I like to call them. And interests relate to, I would say a little bit more the bigger picture, like how are your strengths going to be applied within a bigger context, correct? Yeah. If strengths are what you're doing day to day and your day to day responsibilities, your interest is where you're doing it and what kinds of problems you're using those strengths to solve. Okay. I love that so much. And so how do I figure out what my interests are? Is this, isn't this just something I should just already know off the top of my head or are there, is there some more soul searching I should be doing? Well, it's a great question, Chris, because I think a lot of us put a lot of pressure and stress on ourselves when we're thinking about what we're interested in, because there is a certain amount of belief that you already magically know what all your interests are off the Mm -hmm. top of your head. But what I'll also say is that for those of us who work in any sort of caretaking, caregiving capacity, whether it's for a spouse or partner, whether it's for children, whether it's for a parent, whether it's for anybody, maybe you are a caregiver or a caretaker professionally, it can become very easy to become disassociated from your own interests and very tuned into and keyed into what other people's interests are. And if there are parents listening to this right now, I want to remind you that you as an individual have more interests than just Paw Patrol, right? You have more interests than just the cartoons that you sit and watch with your kids on TV. And that coming back to that grounding of what do I care about as an individual? What am I interested in? What are the kinds of things that I'm downloading podcasts on on my free time? What are the kinds of articles that I'm reading on my phone when I have 10 minutes? Those kinds of insights are much more subtle and feel like they are disassociated, feel like they're separate data points in space. But when you look at them all in aggregate, sometimes you can see very clear trends and themes that may not have presented themselves to you, you know, if you were just thinking about it on a random day. For me, I'm obsessed with music. So I think for me, that's something that I've lost really in the last five years or so. And so I think now that I'm having, I feel like I'm having this renaissance period where I'm coming back to my interests and coming back to something that innately might be one of my biggest passions in life. And you are so right that if I have all of the time in the world, if I didn't have any time in the world, I would still make time for music, I think, like no matter how busy I am. So the energy is there. And I think it's so incredibly important to be aligned with those interests. I think that's just brilliant. Well, and Chris, let me say too that by identifying your interests, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to work in all of them Mm. or in any of them, but you need to have them in your life. Otherwise, you are not going to be feeling as lit up, feeling as happy, feeling as connected to yourself as possible. So if you have an interest in music, you can absolutely be looking at ways to integrate that more fully into your career, (laughs) turn that into something that creates revenue for you in some form. But another insight that might come out of that is, wow, this is a really precious hobby for me that I don't want work to get in the way of. Good point. And so finding Mm. something to do professionally that's still interesting to you, right, that still drives curiosity and growth but that then doesn't interfere with your hobbies can be just as important of an insight in and of itself. Okay. Makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe that's the direction I'll go in, but it, it's it's going to be interesting. I'll keep you updated on my progress there. So what is pillar number three? So pillar number three 
is personality. And this was where I had been feeling that extreme amount of disconnect with the communications consulting firm because of their values of getting work done at all costs. You know, who cares if somebody has just had a death in the family? Their values are really incongruous with my own values and how I wanted to be treated as a human in the workplace. I didn't just want to be a cog. And when we talk about the personality pillar, it can be really challenging because one of the biggest things that you need to do to get fulfillment in the personality pillar is to know yourself. Do you like to be in introverted spaces or extroverted spaces? Mm. Do you like plans or do you like spontaneity? Do you like to have colleagues that treat you like a friend or colleagues that have a lot of professional distance and you sort of, you know, put your head down and do your own work in your own silo? And when you start to understand what allows for you to feel like you can do work at your best, feel the most like yourself, feel like you can give and contribute in the ways that you want to give, it's easy to go into an internal script that says, oh gosh, am I just being entitled? Am I just you know, asking for the moon? Is this even possible for me? Right. And while it is absolutely true that there are a lot of organizations, a lot of corporations out there that make you feel like there is no space for you that you need to sort of conform to their particular standards and expectations, and that's the end of the story. That's not the whole story of what's going on in the marketplace. And the more that each of us as individuals is willing to identify what we're willing to tolerate and what we're not willing to tolerate and how we want to be treated, how we want to be respected, how we want to collaborate with the people around us, the more you'll be able to start finding the places in the marketplace that are attracting more people who are wired a little bit more like you. So be not afraid to identify, you know what? Yeah. I'm an introvert. I really like being in quiet spaces, places where we all get an office with a door, getting to be in spaces where it's not super collaborative because we really just put our heads down and get work done. And then look for the sort of organizational cultures yes. that will allow that to happen for you. Absolutely. And I could already see why if you don't have this pillar within your career, if you don't have that, then that could be one reason why you may not be successful or unhappy at whatever job that you're a part of. But going back to something you mentioned earlier about the job description, how a lot of them are so focused on strengths, like they're very strength focused. How would I be able to determine a personality fit within a company if that's not apparent within the job description? Well, it's a great question because it usually won't be apparent within the job description. So the first thing to know is that you're going to have to go beyond the job description to get the answer to how mm. well an organization can be a great personality fit for you. Mm. Once you've accepted that that is true, that the job description is not going to be the be all end all, and it may not necessarily be the most trustworthy place to find information about an organization's culture. Right. Then it starts to open your creativity and your ideas about where else you can be looking. So there are certainly plenty of resources out there, like information and publications that the organization puts out there, be it in their stakeholder, shareholder reports, be it on their website and their values page. You'll also be able to look for information that employees are giving, whether it's on a place like Glassdoor.com, Salary.com, Fairy God Boss is a great place to look for resources real employer reviews on what the culture within a specific team or within the entire company is like. Mm. But the most reliable way that I recommend for people to get the information about what the culture is actually like there and whether or not it'll be a good personality fit is in building a relationship with somebody who works there who can give you the intel, Yes, who can give you the real deal reconnaissance I love on that. is this organization exhibiting biases, right? 
ageism, sexism, racism? Are they anti-allowing people to share or to practice certain elements of their religion? Because if you talk to somebody and you're able to ask your specific questions related to your specific personality needs, that'll be a really easy way for you to get the knowledge to then make the decision of, does this feel good for me? Do I still want to be moving towards this organization? Are these things that I'm willing to work with and that feel like they could be okay for me? Or does this feel like this is violating a non-negotiable for me in terms of how I want to feel, how I want to show up, how I want to be respected or treated, and I need to look elsewhere? Okay. You said such a brilliant word that I want to bring up in terms of how people make decisions for their job, but you said non-negotiable. All of these pillars that we've listed out so far, I think are operating within some context that if I don't have everything lined up perfectly, then I still might end up choosing a job, correct? So it doesn't have to be perfect. But with the whole negotiable, non-negotiable thing, like, is that how you're saying I would be able to decide whether or not it's worth it for me to make a leap for a particular company? I guess, how do I decide whether a company's right where everything may not be perfect the way I want it to be? Yeah, great question. And you're highlighting something that I I probably should have said at the front, which is that the four pillars are not something where you should be expecting to get a 10 out of 10 perfect fit on every single thing you're articulating for Mm. yourself on every single one of the four pillars. The pillars are a framework to help you look at what are all the things that are important to me and then prioritize to say, well, what's most important to me? Is it most important to me to be working in an office where everybody has doors and everybody gets noise canceling headphones and we can be hyper productive? Or is it most important to me to be working in an organization where I feel like I have a true sense of friendship and camaraderie with my colleagues? Because it's not that you can't have both, but when you're searching, you need to know which one is more important and most valuable to then focus your search so that you know where to start and what to look at and what sort of can be interesting on its face, but is actually out of alignment with your prioritization and the trade-offs that you want to be making. Okay. Fantastic. A really good way to bring that to light. I like to write things down. I know if I was making a decision, I would lay all these things out, but I think that's really brilliant. So pillar number four, let's round it out here. I know I get excited about this one because I just like lifestyle and money is always a part of this situation, but let's talk about pillar number four for our job seekers here. So the last pillar lifestyle needs is the one that makes you ask the question again to that point of trade-offs and priorities what do i need most in terms of compensation and benefits and flexibility because for some people total comp may be the bottom line most important thing for you you've priced out what your lifestyle costs you've priced out some dreams that you have you know what you need to be making in take-home pay per month to be able to make that happen you know you have a fabulous spreadsheet and because of that you know exactly what you are or are not willing to work for. But for other people, the compensation piece may not be as big of a deal. Not that you don't want to, you know, eventually have a bathtub full of gold coins that you can dive into Scrooge McDuck style, but rather (laughs) that there are other things that are more important to you, right? So maybe you are training for an ultra marathon and that is a huge goal for you. You love it, but To do your training runs, especially in the heat of summer, you got to go in the morning before it gets super hot out and terrible. And if you're doing ultra marathons, you need a healthy amount of time to go for those runs, get home, stretch it out, take a shower, all that before you log on to work. Mm -hmm. So it might be worth it for you to make a trade-off of maybe optimizing solely towards salary and compensation if instead you could optimize towards having flexibility to start your day at 10 or 10.30 in the morning when you're back from your run, You've taken a shower and you didn't have to get up at 3 a.m. to do it all. Right. So 
each person's needs here will vary, but identifying what's most important for you is the most important part. Again, not because you can't make some really great power moves and upgrade your salary and upgrade your benefits, but because this helps you prioritize where to search and what to be negotiating and asking for first. Right. Absolutely. I'm thinking about this in terms of the practicality of the job search and interviews and things like that. But is this something typically that comes in towards the end of the interview cycle, the very, very end? When do I bring this into conversation? It depends on what you need. If for you, compensation is the be all end all, then before you apply to an organization, you should be doing your due diligence and your research to make sure that they pay in the range that you want to be making. Otherwise, you shouldn't be engaging in an interview with them at all, right? If they have a history of being in the kind of pay band that you want to be in, or they have a history of being willing to negotiate there, totally go for it. For other people, you know, it may totally be an afterthought where you go through the negotiation process and then you realize, okay, there's one type of benefit that I think this company offers. And I just want to make sure that I negotiate for it at the very end when I get the offer letter. But for most people to make sure that your priorities are going to be valued and honored, you need to be thinking about them before you start the interview process and make sure that you're aligning the organizations and roles you're applying for with places that have a history of or have the possibility of meeting your needs. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, you have been just a magnificent guest. I want to make sure we have enough time here to talk about your book and, of course, the Q&A session with their job seekers. But first of all, why did you write the book? And this is going to be a little bit in the future when this episode's released, but when does the book release? When is the book's release date? So the book, by the time you're listening to this, the book has already come out. It was November 17th, 2020, and it's available on IndieBound. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books A Million, any place that you buy books, you should be able to find a copy. Mm. And I wrote this because the more that I was diving into the research around career fulfillment, career satisfaction, career change, how to find work that feels like it fits you, the more I was realizing that there are some brilliant people out there who have written incredible books that only talk about a slice. They only talk about one piece of the issue. And I wanted for folks to have a guidebook. You went all in. That takes you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I want you to be able to go to this book and say, I don't know what I want next, but it's not this. Crack open the book and then feel like you are supported and guided step-by-step through the whole process of figuring out what you want, finding it in the marketplace, testing and validating that it's a good fit, and then making your job search and your transition actually happen. Wonderful. And I'm trying not to make this sound so pitchy and like I do it on accident. I just get so excited to talk about the book because I read it. And even as someone who's not actively looking for a job right now, As someone who is a, I feel like a lifelong entrepreneur, I felt like I got a lot of inspiration from this book and defining, you know, my own, what lifestyle do I want in my own life? You know, and I really had to ask myself, what are my strengths as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and how can I use that to end up scaling and and growing my business? Because we are scaling right now. And it is kind of that awkward teenage stage, teenager phase, I think, where there's just a lot of growing pains. But it really made me question, you know, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? What are the things that I am not so good at or even the things that I just hate doing on a daily basis that I think I need to get rid of? So big, big kudos and congratulations to you on your book release. That is just fantastic and can't thank you enough for coming on the show. 
Well, thank you for having me, Chris. And for any listeners who are as big of Chris Villanueva fans as I am, <laughs> he actually was so generous to provide a praise blurb to go in the book. So if you want to read what Chris had to say about the book, you can pick up your copy at getcareerclarity.com slash book. Perfect. Awesome. And for you joggers who were you know, out there on the road or people who are driving right now, we want you to be safe. So whenever you get home, make sure to check out the description of this podcast, whether you're listening through Spotify or Apple, and I'll make sure to include those links within the podcast episode description. So this concludes episode 193 of the Career Warrior Podcast. Let's go out. Let's go be warriors and have a nice day. 